1: Consumer Cellular. When Freedom Calls, we're here to answer. Call us at one eight 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 freedom Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5-gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest-cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk, text, and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023.
0: Hey, guys. Willie Geist here with another episode of the Sunday Sit-Down Podcast. My thanks, as always, for clicking and listening along. And this week, I'm proud to tell you I have Hollywood royalty in my presence. He is Oscar winner Michael Douglas. I won't bore you by walking through the entire expanse of his IMDb page, his illustrious career. You know the movies. You know Romancing the Stone. You know the China Syndrome. You know Fatal Traction. You know Wall Street. You know Traffic. You know the American President. The list goes on and on and on. Very excited because Michael agreed to do our interview in person. I'm happy to say we're getting back to a lot of that with everyone vaccinated. And we got together near his home in Westchester County, New York, just north of New York City, where he lives with his wife, fellow Oscar winner, Catherine Zeta-Jones. They have two children, and they decided they made the choice to live outside of Hollywood, outside the glare of the spotlight, and really outside of New York City, too. You'll hear him talk about that a bit. Great guy. Great guy. He was happy to sit and walk through his career, talking about being the son of Kirk Douglas and what that was like and escaping his father's shadow when he finally felt like he did that. So much to talk about, including the latest and final season of the Kaminsky Method, which you'll hear Michael say was a bit of a surprise to him. Remember, he had about 11 years ago announced he had tongue cancer, stage four tongue cancer. He came through that, came back acted as Liberace in Behind the Candelabra, where he won an Emmy and a Golden Globe. And then here comes The Kaminsky Method, this great comedy for which he's also won a Golden Globe. He stars opposite Alan Arkin. Hilarious show on Netflix, if you have not yet seen it. So a lot to talk about, of course. With Michael Douglas, he is every bit as charming and personable as you want him to be, as you think he is, as you imagine he is. Just for reference, we're sitting in a restaurant, Right along the Hudson River, not far from where he lives. A favorite spot for he and Catherine to go have dinner. And man, just great to talk to somebody who's lived so much life and had so much career. So I hope you enjoy as much as I did my conversation right now with Michael Douglas on the Sunday Sit-Down Podcast. It feels nice to be out in a restaurant and for one of my first times out in a restaurant to be with Michael Douglas oh, It's pretty you. cool, too. Thank you, Willie. Appreciate it. Um, so how have these, we were just talking a minute ago, how have this last year or so has been for you as a guy who's worked probably every month of every year of his life <laughs> on a film or a TV show of some kind. What's it been like?
2: Um, <clears throat> testing. Um, certainly been nice to have bring the family closer. You know, our kids are both away, starting in college and our daughter Karis is away at school um, so to have them back uh, at this winter time was was a treat you know we were just kind of adjusting to being empty nesters and making those things and all of a sudden there they were we had them back and we were happy happy to have them back so that part was uh, was nice um I can't say it was a stimulating time it was sort of like you just sort of like you were coping and and, um, I'm happy to realize that I still have some marbles left as we're coming out. You kind of it kind of frozen. Everything got kind of numb and kind of just, you know, you don't want any, any issues or problems. Everything got soft. So, uh, it was the, it was the toughest year. I think I, I've had in my lifetime. I can remember, um, this is in terms of, the pandemic and you know, everything else going on in the world, the difficult world, seems to have tried and tested us, and, and hopefully we've come through.
0: Yeah, I think we have. You're right, though. You step back out from this bubble of a year, and you wonder, can I still talk to people? <laughs> like, do, I, yeah. do I still have it? I mean, people have that sort of...
2: You cherish your friendships, yeah. and you really miss them, and you realize it's giving the time. But when you come back, you're sort of like, it was so weird. With some friends, it was like, I was like almost insecure, like I didn't know how to reach them. And then, you know, immediately you sort of pick it up and you're doing fine. But there's an awkward moment about what do I say and how do I get along. So hopefully everything is moving along in a positive direction and and
0: we've gotten over this this major speed bump. Well, I think the fact that we can sit here Vaccinated without masks on, talking is a signal right. that hopefully we are moving in the right direction. Exactly. You also were busy working on the third season of the Kaminsky Method. Congratulations! Thank you. Thank you um, very much. What was that like to work under these circumstances? Different than you've ever worked, I imagine.
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, the, uh, the the procedural work was very hard. We did this third season of the Kaminsky Method from. Um, October 2020 to uh, December, I had to come back a little bit into January of of 21. Procedures are are, are incredible Uh, within a bubble. Basically tested uh, um, every day with a rapid test and then doing the other, the 48-hour test, like twice a week. Um, Double masks, screens, and then things like your crew is broken up into in divisions. So, and you had different code code numbers. So, like when when cast would come onto set, if we were the actors onto the set, there would only be uh, the director uh, and maybe the cameraman, and all the crew would be uh, off stage, and there would be a camera like that one up there showing them what the movement of the set, scenes would be. Oh, wow. And then when you think you've rehearsed the scene and finished it you leave, and the crew comes on, and that separation, then when you get ready to shoot it, they light it and everything, you have to shoot it, then the crew all leaves, and then you're there, and then you have uh, COVID inspectors, uh, predominantly young women, uh, walking around, watching, making sure everybody <laughs> gets their masks, masks on properly, and we had a couple of little bumps along the way, but did surprisingly well, and I think we were one of the few industries that Got going
0: as early as, as we had. What does that do to you as an actor, though, just in terms of how you get ready for a scene? or You you know, you've got a mask on and a shield. Does it change your process?
2: Actors, uh, you know, actors are used to or they have to be in, in sc- certainly in screen and television. Theater's a little different because the stage is yours and you own it. But we're sort of used to going into new environments, uh, a new scene, a new setup um, uh, every day. Um, so we got we got used to it. Also, the uh, the digital world, which has been the, really the biggest phenomenon change from analog, from celluloid film to digital, and digital makes it much easier. It Used to be you'd have a, a thousand foot magazine of film, a celluloid was about ten minutes, and you'd shoot that, and then uh, we can't finish this cut. All right, finish it. All right, get a new new thousand foot mag. And now with the digital. You just uh, keep on going, so you can pick it up a lot faster. It makes it a little easier. Um, it, it slowed things down a little bit,
0: um, but, but it wasn't terrible. We got used to it. And it doesn't show up in the show at all. You never you no, never I know.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think so. I mean, uh, we made a, a, a clear decision about, uh, as far as the show and for longevity, this is really our, our producer and creator, Chuck Lorre's, decision, I think he was right, not to play into the COVID right. uh, or the mask, uh, to really make this a timeless thing with the idea that it might be around for a little while, <laughs> longer than the COVID thing. So I said, I, okay, I, I agree with you, Chuck. That's a good idea.
0: You don't want your show to be a time capsule entirely. Exactly. Yes.
2: People with the time, they come back with us. But what are they doing? What's What happened?
0: <laughs> wonder what you guys were doing. It is, as you know well, the final season of this show that we were talking a minute ago, has been this amazing gift, unexpected gift in your life. What does it feel like to be sort of at the end of this run?
2: Well, I'm I'm, I'm happy. I mean, originally the run was uh, only like two seasons. Um, Netflix and a lot of these shows, rather than just one season, make it like two seasons. And I was having such a good time, I didn't really read my contract well. <laughs> and I said, well, this is good. Well, I, I, I really enjoyed this. I like this format. You know, I originally came out of the streets of San Francisco yeah. in television 1970, it was 74. And I hadn't been back to this, but this um, especially this half hour format with a new episode every six days, uh, different guest stars, I liked it. So um, I pushed for a a, a third season. Um, Alan was ready to call uh, Alan Arkin was ready to call it a day, uh, which I certainly respected and understood. Um, he's a little older than I am. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, we so we did the third and it was a really enjoyable time. It helps because the writing is so good. Chuck Lorre was involved with all of the episodes that we did. He was there every day from beginning of the day till uh, till the end. And so you've got what you dream for as an actor. You got great uh, great writing, uh, really really good cast ensemble. Um, and, um, well, I shouldn't say it, and no dickheads. So, <laughs> so, so, so that really makes it a
0: pleasant experience. Is that a Michael Douglas policy on set? It,
2: it, it has in the last 10 or 15 yeah. years as, as I've gotten older and, and realize how fortunate I am that I make my living uh, trying to entertain people when there's a lot more serious uh, work going on, that I, uh, I do not have much patience with, uh, with any talent, Um uh, uh, that doesn't work ensemble together with everybody else. So we'll post that up on all of your sets. I, I do. I, I put that little, like a
0: little flag
2: <laughs> that came in. It's no dickheads.
0: <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So we were, you know, the Golden Globe that you won a couple of years ago um, really put a stamp on this show as, you know, one of the great shows on, on television or streaming or whatever we're even calling it anymore um, what did that award mean to you to have, again, this, this project that maybe you didn't see coming in your career to have been so well loved and respected?
2: Well, it, it meant a lot because, um, I'm not particularly known for my comedic, uh, abilities. And one of the reasons why I wanted to do the Kaminsky method was to sort of learn and stretch. I'm just so fascinated about comedy, about timing and, and, and how people create humor. I think, I think comedy is, is really underappreciated uh, in our business, particularly when it comes to award seasons. I mean, when you look at the Oscars, you hardly ever see an actor nominated uh, for a comedy uh, for Best Actor. When in fact, comedy is much more difficult than, than drama. I mean, we just have to look around at, at, at our friends. We cherish our funny friends. Yeah. Uh, we don't have that many. Drama is always easier to come by in this world. <laughs> Comedy is not. So I, I I love the opportunity, and you know this this year to work with Paul Reiser, who's wonderful, uh, a fantastic uh, group of actors. Kathleen Turner yeah. was a wonderful opportunity for Kathleen and I to get back and play play husband and wife. Kind of brings back a little bit of the War of the Roses, sure. you know, to us. So uh, it it was enjoyable, and, and at this point in my career, of my life, I'm just trying to find different types of things, you know, like I had never done a, uh, a action big green screen movie until uh, Ant-Man, right. uh, and we're going to do another one of those. And so Comiskey Method was, uh, you know, was a chance to do some comedy and some things that I had not done before.
0: It's interesting to hear you say that comedy is more difficult than drama, because comedians all say that. They say, right. What we do is much harder than dramatic acting. You've been in the dramatic acting world for most of your life. What is so much hard is it just that it's harder to make people laugh than do anything else. Yeah, well, f- being funny is a is a talent, uh, and along with technique. The
2: easiest way to explain it is if you go uh, your acting classes and you're doing an improv in yeah. an acting class. The first thing most everybody does is create conflict. Is conflict and they think it's dramatic and conflict. Is that one person in the class who has a twist to find something absurd is who's funny. Uh, and it's a, it's a, it's a unique talent. Whereas, um, you know, dramatic straight actors, I think of as more of a craft than an art form. Comedy is, uh, is, is something very, very special. And so all of you out there, appreciate your funny friends. (laughs) Well, you're very good
0: at it, Thank you. and the opening scene, I was talking, we don't want to spoil too much about this, people are anticipating it, but I'm told that because this will be in the trailer by the time this airs, we can talk about this. It opens at a funeral, and it's one of the funniest scenes I've seen on television (laughs) in a long time, (laughs) (laughs) beginning with your speech and just sort of escalating from there to this (laughs) wild scene that takes place. so, where for fans of the show, where do we sort of leave off with Sandy as we enter season three?
2: Um, well, Sandy is 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 teaching, and um, Alan, who is his best friend and was the owner of a large agency, uh, has has recently deceased, and. Um, I don't know if Netflix is gonna shoot me with a blowgun in the back of the neck. They're very paranoid about giving information away. But I think we're, we're that okay. Th- I'm told we're okay with that. We're okay. Yeah. So basically it was the fact of dealing with, with, with Alan Arkin not being in our, th- in our third season. And God bless, God bless Chuck. So he says, "We're going right for it." I said, "What do you mean?" He says, "We're starting our third season with a funeral." I said, "You can't start a a comedy with with the funeral of, of of the guy who was whether you're will last year." said, "No, we're dealing with it right now." And so that kind of gives you an idea where we where we start from, and uh, it takes off in some. Wonderful directions tied in with the last two years and, and it, it tracks, it tracks fairly well.
0: Uh, there's so much I want to say, but I guess I'll save it for them to see. The lost puppy leads to an encounter that's just amazing. Yeah. There's, there's a lot there, but we don't have to. The show is coming
2: out and I think very soon after this yes. is aired. Yes. So, uh,
0: it's uh, all there and don't miss it. I guess is, right. is all I would say about that.
2: it was it May 24th? May 28th. May 28th. So. I don't this show is coming. The show is coming out on May twenty eighth,
0: and we'll be there. I just there got you got go. We'll, nice <laughs> insert. We'll drop that right. Drop that right in there. <laughs> um, a lot of the the fun of the show and the theme of the show. You the first two seasons, you and Alan, and then you again in season three are sort of dealing with these questions around aging and laughing about them. Sometimes it's poignant. Sometimes it's heartbreaking as well. Um, what do you see in those themes? What's funny about that?
2: Well, what's funny about getting old? I mean, this is what I, I love so much, you know, is this, it's part of your life and, you know, you're so hard to find anything uh, attractive about, about getting older. Uh, and so as a result, I think Chuck has dealt with uh, most every medical issue and every other issue for both men and women uh, and has found humor. Uh, in them, and uh, I, I love our following, and it's been surprising the first two seasons, a lot of young people, which I still can't quite figure out, who get the show, and I think maybe it's because they, the show helps them understand their grandparents, right, right. <laughs> or their parents uh, um, uh, a little better, but uh, yes, we go through the litany of uh, things that are of, of, uh, of issues uh, of getting older, and have been able to f-
0: find humor in them, too. Yeah. Again, there's some scenes in this first episode that speak to that. A back injury comes to mind Right in that first episode. <laughs> Got Prostate little... issues. Yeah.
2: Yes, a little bit of that. We we're, we're all over you
0: the body. Touched, but... Touching all the bases. Yes, right. <laughs> um, great um, stunt casting, if that's the right term on the show, where Patti LaBelle will turn up or yeah, yeah. some big star will be there, which is these chestnuts are part of the fun of the show. It was really an honor
2: and a treat that so many uh, uh, leading stars and actors came in for little guest shots uh, and we enjoyed it. I, I'm, and I'm not going to give away. We've got some good surprises for this third season, uh, but it's, it's a treat to see. And it was really fun is, uh, you know, I'm, I play an, an acting coach, acting teacher in the show, and I have a, a regular group of the students that have been with me for the last two seasons and the third season. And I, I guess we're sort of getting used to each other because every time another star comes in, they're like, wow, can we take pictures? I said, well, yeah, okay, guys, but, you know, what about moi? I said, hey, we've seen enough of you.
0: <laughs> I haven't asked for your picture yet. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> did you ever have, in your early days, an acting coach at all? And if so, one that resembled in any way, Sandy? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I did. I had a a, a wonderful teacher named Wynne Handman in New York. We lost him last year. And he was still teaching, I think about 94, 95 years old. He wow. was still teaching uh, uh, classes. And he, he was a wonderful support i um well i guess acting eventually took act got into acting because my father's an actor of course my mother was also an actress and i was in college you know it was early 60s i was a hippie you know i was just going through my classes and finally my junior year they called me into the office and uh, you've got to take a major the woman What? What?" you got a major in something you can't keep taking your, your junior year you have to have a major Oh, far out, okay, So I said, uh, theater arts, theater arts, man. You know, I thought it'd be easy. I knew a little bit my mother was in theater and all of that. But I never acted before. And um, I started and was painfully shy and awkward and had terrible stage fright and and all of that. And somehow, I guess this the challenge of trying to overcome it, just stayed, stayed with it. And finally got to a point where I I, I enjoyed what I was doing, but it took a while.
0: It's interesting to hear you say you didn't start acting until college when you'd moved west for college. Because the sort of mythology around you is that, you know, you're the scion to this, you know, this royalty in Hollywood, which you are, but... It wasn't your thing. You didn't live out there. You no. were on the East Coast living like a teenager for most of your life. Well,
2: I love the Hollywood royalty story. My grandfather was a junk man, right? My grandfather <laughs> right. was a junk man with a horse and wagon. And, uh, my father who had to change his names and everything when he was married to my mother from like 1944 to 1949. When they were, when they were married, um, together, we were living in a one-room apartment in Greenwich Village, New York, uh, and it wasn't until maybe I was like six when Dad finally went out to California, and that was at the same time when he was out there for about a year in California, in Hollywood, when my mother said, we're heading back east, <laughs> uh, we're getting out of here. So I, I, I never saw that big royal life that people uh, talk about, and I basically grew up with my mom in um in New York City on the west side, not facing Central Park <laughs> west. And we go out in summers and see my see, see my father. And uh, yes, I think that that's probably the biggest advantage of being second generation is uh, just seeing how people operate or function when they're known as celebrities and how you conduct yourself and able to go on sets and get a sense of what the the protocol was I think it was a big advantage for a second generation
0: we were talking a little bit about your father being out in Hollywood and you growing up on the east coast having some semblance of a more normal life but you did go back and forth what did you learn from that
2: um how to be an actor (laughs) I learned best how how to be an actor because um in 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 divorced families or separation when you're moving back and forth you don't want any trouble. You know, you, you just want everybody you don't know about guilt, about how guilty your father might be, because um, you know, he one thing he promised himself because his father ne- never gave him a pat on the back. So he wanted to be there for his kids and they're separated. And he's you don't know anything about that. All you want to do is make nice. And so I've noticed that about a lot of uh, kids from divorced families who who are actors. Um I, I use that in the plural, um, who are used from childhood to learning to adjust a little bit like a chameleon would change its colors to whatever household you're in.
0: Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Sunday Sit-Down Podcast. Stick around to hear more from Michael Douglas right after the break. Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this
1: is your wake-up call. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast twenty-five. Welcome back to the Sunday Sit Down
0: Podcast. Now more of my conversation with Michael Douglas. You actually, you've said it before, got your started movies almost by mistake in one of your father's films. And I think you'll remember the title, Driving a Jeep. That's that's uh, that's
2: true. I I would start working on and summer jobs, wherever my father was working on a picture, I would go over and work as a gopher, you know, as a production assistant and, and all of that. And, and on this picture called Cast a Giant Shadow, which was being filmed in Israel. And so I was, what, 16, 54, so about 59, 1960. And we, we had a scene in the military about they were driving a Jeep and the kids in Israel at that time didn't drive very much everything versus Americans. So dad turned to me. I was, he said, Mike, come on, just go drive that thing and put it up there on the mark and right there. I said, OK. And uh, I did it. And dad took great credit you know, in the fact, see that? He hit his mark <laughs> just like that. Take that car there. <laughs>
0: And that was, the rest is history from there?
2: The rest is sort of history. Uh, a lot, lot, lot of work and, um, and, uh, and 55 years later, yeah.
0: Was there anything about watching your dad that made you not want to get into that business? Or was it just, boy, that looks like a fun life. That's something I want to do too. In other words, was there ever a time you considered not being an actor?
2: Um, once I started... I, I I didn't, uh, but, but I think I was put off. My father was a pretty intense, dynamic man, and um, people deal with pressure. There's, there's a lot of, in the spirit of trying to look calm and relaxed in front of a camera, and particularly if you're producing the movie as well as acting, there's a lot of. Excuse me, there's a lot of pressure, and uh, I think I, I, I was a little nervous about the intensity. Uh, that existed in in all of that, and was not inherently a showman. Was not comfortable with uh, standing in, in, in front of people. But on the other side, looked like a lot of perks. <laughs> it looked it looked uh, pretty good. And I, I eventually, you know, got into the uh, the the flow of things. Uh, it, it took a while.
0: And you actually, you mentioned Streets of San Francisco, successful series. But you actually won your first Oscar, people think of Wall Street, naturally, with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest as right. a producer. And there's another tie-in there with your dad, who had optioned the book.
2: Right, right. And yeah, you he, produced it. Dad had, at the height of his career, 1960, he'd just done Spartacus, and he had acquired this book, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and he went back to Broadway and committed minimum of six months, including rehearsal and all of that, to do the show. And the idea was, when it received that kind of patina, to then develop it into a feature film. And the show wasn't received, was mixed reviews. I think it was the, the subject matter of mental health and the cuckoo's nest. It was a little ahead of its time. And so he tried to get it done. He couldn't get it as a movie. Meanwhile, I had read the book in college and started my career, but loved it. And I heard he was trying to sell it. And I said, just give me a chance, see if I can try to get this going. And the rest was history after, after a, f- a few years. And I was only very grateful that it turned out as well as it did because it was a, a wonderful piece of material and a great part for my father, which was the mm-hmm. really difficult, difficult decision that we both settled and resolved over the years but uh he had gotten older his career had changed and jack nicholson was the right guy for the part
0: well the, the obvious question is was there ever a moment where you were going to play the jack nicholson no, no 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 i was thinking about no no i was a young guy then
2: i was thinking about the billy bibbit part um ah. but then then uh, brad dorf came along to this extra, extraordinary audition i said well forget that yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah. And the, you know as you look sort of at your extraordinary career and everything you've done it looks like you're sort of a TV actor and you're doing a bunch of producing very successfully until around 1984 with Romancing the Stone you mentioned Kathleen Turner did that feel like the breakthrough movie moment for you Um yeah I mean the China Syndrome came sure. a little
2: before that and I was producing that and uh, um it was more of a supporting role with Jane Fonda and Jack Lemmon. And then China Syndrome, uh, uh, then Romancing the Stone happened. But still, it was uh, as, as a producer in films, I was constantly in a situation where I could produce a movie, but I was not approved by the studio as an actor. So I had pictures like um, Starman, that Jeff Bridges yep. was a, approved by the studio, but I was producing. Uh, but it was a part I would, I would want it to, uh, I wanted it to do. Um, so that, that would, that would happen. But actually it was not until like 85, 86 with the year of, um, fatal attraction in wall street in yeah. the same year that I finally felt like I stepped outside of the shadow
0: of, of, my father and had kind of created my own career. And you won the Oscar for wall street. Yeah. A lot of people say, yeah, it's just an award or, you know, it's an honor to be nominated. But what does that really mean to have that trophy in your hand and then forever to have Oscar winner Michael it, Douglas?
2: It's, it's a period. Or it's, it's, it's the end of a statement. It's, uh, and for me, it particularly meant a lot because of being second generation and, and, and trying to establish. Because the reality is you as an actor are trying to create your own individuality, your own sense of, of your identity, but you are half. Your genes are your father's, uh, so therefore every expression that you make would oh, be. It reminds It's just like your dad. Right. Oh, it's, it's just like your dad. It's a love for the dead. So. so you kind of get a little uh, change. So you just kind of get used to that and have to make adjustments.
0: Yeah, and, and people say, well, he is where he is because of his father until you reach that moment, yeah, I guess. You,
2: don't, you You can't get cast uh, being second generation. You know, It doesn't work that way.
0: Now, are you the kind of guy, Michael, who, if you're flipping around, will watch if Wall Street comes on or Fatal Attraction? You see yourself walking on the beach with the big brick cell phone <laughs> in Wall Street. Do you watch your I, old stuff? I, I'm okay. I, I don't. Um, I never, I can't say ever,
2: but hardly ever watch my films. I mean, I'll, I'll see them in the process of the final cut, or I'll see them before you're starting press um, at, a, at a theater or something, but I, I don't dwell dwell on them. But I do like if you're skimming through and you see something and you just, I'll watch that and I'll watch the whole thing, but I'll watch it for a minute and for the hope that seeing it will bring back some memories. <laughs> because so many times I've had things now where you're going looking at it. I don't remember that, even when I'm, even when I'm watching it. So, uh, yeah, I like to do that sometimes and catch back. And...
0: Are you critical of yourself when you watch? I am. Yeah. I
2: am. So that's, that was why I, I stopped watching, stopped watching dailies because, uh, dailies are, the, are all of the rough film that you shoot. Right. Is I would constantly see the uh, the things I didn't like, which were never going to be in the movie anyway, but still would uh, would would bother me. Uh, so yes, I'm 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 generally kind of very critical.
0: Is it amazing to you in some way that a phrase like "greed is good"? has endured as long as it has and in fact became sort of the motto of the 80s of a generation. that You can't ever imagine that when you're shooting it in the scene for a couple of weeks on set. But that if I use that phrase out on the street, somebody's going to know exactly what I'm talking about today.
2: Yeah. No, I was... Well, I mean, you're picking Wall Street for one. The weird thing about Wall Street was Gordon Gecko is a villain. Yeah. villain. He was a bad guy. But if I tell you, Willie, how many people come up to you on Wall Street, usually after they've had a couple of pops, and, hey, greed is good, you're the man, you're the reason why I'm on Wall Street. I saw that movie. I said, guys, I was the bad guy. Ah, no, 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 no. So it, it was a little crazy uh, but with that role in particular, but just a tribute to the writing, Oliver Stone, how well it was, it was written, and then how well Oliver directed me. You know, he, he, was, he was tough, but he, was, he really helped me deliver a good performance.
0: It's, it is an amazing, again, just looking through in preparation for the interview, your start to finish, if you want to go to streets in San Francisco up to the Kaminsky Methods, amazing. Do you allow yourself, maybe even in this last year of downtime, to stop and say, wow, maybe I have had a pretty good run?
2: We um, yeah, had both in the downtime and before. I'm, I'm really proud of my batting rec- my batting record. I mean, it's not home runs, there's a lot of singles and doubles in there and uh you know yeah i'm i'm, I'm proud about it i think that's the big advantage uh, is 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 being a producer really which keeps you um level headed as an actor and reminds you what the most important things are which is the material the script it doesn't matter who you have as director or actors unless you have a really well structured formulated script and then if you have a good director uh, and then you cast it right, you're off and running. So it made me much more aware of all the other elements outside of my own performance. So I, I, I enjoy producing a lot because that's sort of being the adult in, in the room and having to be aware of 360 degrees around you. Or I enjoy acting, which is selfish and just dealing with the person in front of you and not having to worry about anything else. But every time I've done them together, it's not a lot of fun. One or the other. It's too much. You to do one or the other because yeah. one is about being aware of everything and the other one is being aware of nothing except yeah. what's, what's right in front.
0: I don't know how people do that. If you're directing a film and then you have to go sit in that chair and do the scene. I,
2: I, I don't either. I don't either. I'm sure they have replay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that helps. I'm sure they go stop it. Let's take a look at that. that yes. <laughs> the Kaminsky method to me in your career is in a category of... The last decade or so of work you've done since your cancer diagnosis, right? The Candelabra, of course, beyond the Candelabra being another one. Um, how difficult was it to come back to work after that, and gratifying to succeed after that?
2: Uh, both, you know. I, I um, you know, I was stage four, you know, yeah. and so you, you, one does not know. And um, but I was fortunate enough. Uh, I'm so eternally grateful to Steven Soderbergh um, because in my uh, in my recovery as, after I finished the the, uh, the radiation and stuff, he had, he and, and Jerry Weintraub had submitted behind the candelabra the Liberace script, which was just great and um, so so excited. So I had something to look forward to. Mm. And then Stephen came to me and said, you know what, we're gonna to have to push this. I said, I've got something else I have to do. And and Matt Damon, who was in the uh, in the show, said he's got something, so we're gonna push this for for a year. And my heart sank, and I went, Oh man, this is this is never gonna happen. Right? Mm. And the reality was, Willie, that because I was just so happy to be alive, I I really didn't recognize the thought. The that I lost about forty pounds, hmm. and I was like out of Auschwitz, you know. Um, and and uh, Lee was a was a hefty kind of guy, and they really knew that I needed that time for recovery. But rather than putting it on me, uh, Stephen and them put it on themselves. And sure enough, uh, a year later, uh, we were able to to get going. And I remember we were, had a kind of a party at the beach in California before we started. My children were out there, and, and Stephen was there. We were having a little thing. And um, I could see Stephen was wondering, you know, how I was, the, mu- the, the music stuff, and all of that. And my son Dylan was there, and all of a sudden he started doing an imitation of me. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I think, and after hearing me rehearse and rehearse at home all the time, and Stephen always says, you know, I knew we were going to be in good shape when I saw your son imitating you as well as he did. It gave me some sense of how hard you've been rehearsing.
0: <laughs> and he could hear the accent and everything else through yeah. that. So that sort of kept you going in many ways, I have to imagine, during your treatment and your recovery, which must have been an incredibly difficult time. Yeah.
2: Well, the thing with, um, with chemo, you know, and, and radiation, it's, it's one thing as you build up through your weeks and weeks of dosage. And then you think, and what they don't want to tell you is when you think you're done, when you're finished, then you just don't, then that point that you were so sick from, from all the chemo and everything else. Now you start going down the other side, but it's another six or seven weeks before you're, you can shake the cobwebs mm-hmm. out and get going. Uh, but nobody really wants to tell you that because you know the first few weeks are tough enough without knowing that it's, you still have that much time to finish.
0: You look great. You feel good. Yeah, Health yeah, no, is I mean, good. I'm I'm feeling
2: yeah. great. Yeah, I my mean, voice has changed a bit since that, but other than that, you know, it's better than not having a tongue or yeah. losing part of your jaw. So I'm I'm uh, I'm
0: still can keep going. Yeah, good. Well, that leads me to my my last question for you. You've shown that you can continue to do it with the Kaminsky method. What's next for you? What are you looking at over the horizon? You tried mm. comedy this time? Is there anything else out there for you?
2: Well, um we're gonna do another Ant Man. Mm-hmm. Um work on that this uh this summer. I've got a really interesting thing after that I don't think I can announce yet. Mm. Um I'm probably gonna be redoing. Be um and then I'm gonna go I'm gonna travel some more. I'm gonna go I don't go around the world a little bit, places I have been for a while. Yeah, you have to pace yourself. You know, I'm 76, God bless my dad was uh was 103. Mm-hmm. Um but I think you know all of a sudden I'm so happy for Tony Hopkins, yeah, 82, the oldest guy. But all of a sudden I look and I say, you know, 76, 20 years, 96, I'll take that. I'll say, 20 years? <laughs> 20 years you, you. So, so then, not to get too crazed about the whole thing, but you want to pick your spots, really. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to choose what you want to, how you want to spend your time. Yes. And um, that leads me to my, uh, my stunning wife, Catherine, uh, and my three wonderful children, Cameron, Dylan, and Karis. And, uh, so I'm looking forward to spending more time with them.
0: Catherine may want you out of the house after this last she, year yeah, yeah, yeah. that will and travel the world okay. you may be alone and she's getting
2: she's getting really busy and active now <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's such a pleasure to talk to you Michael. Hey, thank you so much congratulations on the the final season of this wonderful show well appreciate it my big thanks again to Michael for a great conversation and for agreeing to do it in person in a spot he loves had a great time you can catch Michael in the third and final season of the Kaminsky method premiering May 28th on netflix and my thanks to all of you for tuning in this week if you want to hear more of my conversations with all of our guests every week be sure to click subscribe so you never miss an episode and of course don't forget to tune in to sunday today every weekend on nbc i'm willie geist we'll see you right back here next week on the sunday sit down podcast